11. Carefully insert the bullet in the head of him of the dusty boots. Dessert general offering of ladies' fingers. Serve up with red fire and tableaus. For MSSRs. McCready and Charles Keane. Take an enormous hero work him up with improbabilities dress him in spangles and a long train disguise his head as much as possible. As the great beauty of this dish is to avoid any resemblance to the Teddy Devo natural. Grill him for three acts. When well worked up. Add a murder or large dose of innocence according to the palate of the guest's season. With a strong infusion of clackers and box orders. Serve up with twelve sheet posters. And imaginary shop spirian announcements. And be be careful. In cooking the heroes. Not to turn their backs to the front range should you do so the dish will be spoiled. For the royal dick. A domestic sketch. Take a young woman give her six pounds a year work up her father and mother into a viscous paste bind all with an abandoned poacher throw in a dust of virtue. And a handful of vice. When the poacher is about to boil over. Put him into another saucepan. Let him simmer for some time. And then he will turn out lord of the manor. And marry the young woman. Serve up with bludgeons. Handcuffs. A sentimental jailer. And a large tureen of innocence preserved. For the Surrey nautical. Take a big man with a loud voice. Dress him with a pair of ducks. And, if pork is come edible, a pigtail stuff his jaws with an imitation quid, and his mouth with a large assortment of dams. Garnish with two broadswords and a hornpipe. Boil down a press gang and six or seven smugglers. And if in season a boswain and large cat on nine tails. Sprinkle the dish with two lieutenants, four midshipmen, and about seven or eight common sailors. Serve up with a pair of epaulets and an admiral in a white wig. Silk stockings, smalls, and the mutiny act. Power city article. We have no arrivals today, but are looking out anxiously for the overland mail from Battersea. It is expected that news will be brought of the state of the mushroom market, and great inconvenience in the meantime is felt by the dealers, who are holding all they have got, in the anticipation of a fall, while commodities are, of course, every moment getting heavier. The London and Westminster steamboat tulip with letters from Millbank, was planted in the mud off Westminster for several hours, and those who looked for the correspondence, had to look much longer than could have been agreeable. The egg market has been in a very unsettled state all the week, and we have heard whispers of a large breakage in one of the wholesale houses. This is caused by the dead weight of the packing cases, to which every house in the trade is liable. In the fruit market, there is positively nothing doing, and the growers, who are every day becoming less, Complain bitterly. Raspberries were very slack. That to one to D. Per Paul, but dry goods still brought their prices. We have heard of several severe smashes in currants, and the bakers, who, it is said, generally contrive to get a finger in the pie, are among the sufferers. The salmon trade island for the most part, in a pickle, but we should regret to say anything that might be misinterpreted. The periwinkle and wolf interest has sustained a severe shock. But potatoes continue to be done much as usual. To Sir FSBT, a dinner is to be given to Captain Rees on the 20th inst. That which Sir Francis Burdett has promised to preside. Morning paper. Egyptian revels often boast a guest in sparkling robes and blooming chaplets dearest. But, oh, what loathsomeness is here beneath a fleshless, moldering effigy of death. A thing to check the smile and wake the sigh. With thoughts that living excellence can die. How many at the coming feast will see the skeleton of honored worth in the Supreme Court of the Lord High Inquisitor Punch? Blaise Lotto Agni Speranza. Void Chapter Intrate. John Bowlby The Peel Place Hunting Company. 
Mr. J.O.B.D.I.C. Kaler said he had to move in this cause for an injunction to restrain the Peel Place Hunting Company from entering into possession of the estates of plaintiff. It appeared from the affidavits on which he moved, that the defendants, though not in actual possession, laid an equitable claim to the fee simple of the large estates rightfully belonging to the plaintiff, over which they were about to exercise sovereign dominion. They had entered into private treaty with the blind old man who held the post of chief law grubber of the exchequer, offering him a bribe to pretend illness, and take half his present day, in order to fasten one of the young and long-lived leeches one Sir Frederick Small luck to the vacant bench. They were about to compel a decentish sort of man, who did the business of chancery as well as such business can be done under the present system, to retire upon half allowance, in order to make room for one Sir William Fulhap who had no objection to L14.000 a year and a peerage. They were about to fill two sub-chancellorships, which they would not on any account allow the company in the present actual possession of the estates to fill up with a couple of their own shareholders, and were, in fine, proceeding to dispose of, by open sale, and by private contract, the freehold, leasehold, and funded property of plaintiff, to the incalculable danger of the estate and to the disregard of decency and justice, what rendered this assumption and exercise of power the more intolerable, was, that the persons the most unfit were selected, and as if, it would appear, from a hateful love of contraries, the man learned in law being sent to preside over the business of equity, of which he knew nothing, and the man learned in equity being entrusted with the direction of law of which he knew worse than nothing, being obliged to unlearn all he had previously learned, before he began to learn his new craft. Lord High Inquisitor, don't you know, sir, that poet on Ashaturnanfit, is not a judge a judge the moment he applies himself to the seat of justice, Mr. J.O.B.D.I.C. Kaler, most undoubtedly it is so, my lord, as your lordship is a glorious example, but Lord High Inquisitor, but me no buts, sir, I'll have no allusions made to my person, what way are the cases on the point you would press on the court, Mr. J.O.B.D.I.C. Kaler, the cases, I am sorry to say, are all in favor of the Peel Place Hunting Company's proceedings, but the principal, my lord, the principal, Lord High Inquisitor, principal, what has principal to do with law, sir, really the bar is losing all reverence for authority, all regard for consistency, I must put a stop to such revolutionary tendencies on the part of gentlemen who practice in my court, sit down, sir, Mr. J.O.B.D.I.C. Kaler. May my client have the injunction, Lord High Inquisitor, no no no, but he shall pay all the costs, and I only wish I could double them for his impertinence, you, sir, you deserve to be stripped of your gown for insulting the ears of the court with such a motion, crier, any more appeals, causes, or motions, in the Supreme Court of the Lord High Inquisitor Punch, today, a dead silence, Lord High Inquisitor bowing gracefully to the bar, good morning. Gentlemen, you behold how carefully we fulfill the letter of Magna Charta. Nulli the demus, nulli negabemus, audithoremus rectum vel justitium. Exit. Crier, this court will sit the next time it is the Lord High Inquisitor's pleasure that it should sit, and at no other period or time. God save the Queen. Anantianaceriodic. Number 3. Greek, the eyes Lyrian. Apollo, ere the adverse fates gave thy liar to Mr. Yates. I have melted at thy strain when Bun reigned or Drury Lane, for the music of thy strings haunts the ear when Romer sings, but to me that voice is mute, tuneless kettle drum and flute I but hear one liquid lyre kettle bubbling on the fire, whizzing, 
fizzing, steaming out music from its curved spot, wattening visions by its song of vignette-brown streams, Suchung, lumps of crystal saccharine liquid pearl distilled from kine, nymphs whose gentle voices mingle with the silver teaspoon's jingle, symposia or all preside, the pitting of the fragrant tide, such the dreams that fancy brings, when my tuneful kill sings, this celebrated instrument now crowns the chaste yet elaborate front of the Adelphi Theatre, where full-length effigies of Mr. and Mrs. Yates may be seen silently inviting the public to a walk in authentic, from EBNE's EBWLE, of London, to his friend Reuben Pion, of Liverpool, 7th Mo, 29th, 1841, friend Reuben, I am in rect, of thine of 27th inst, and note contents. It affordeth me consolation that the brig Hazard hath arrived safely in thy port whereof I myself was an underwriter also, that a man-child hath been born unto the end to my faithful spouse Rebecca. Nevertheless, the house of Crash and Crackett hath stopped payment, which hath caused sore lamentation amongst the faithful, who have discounted their paper. It hath pleased Providence to erase the price of E.I. sugars. The quotations of B.P. coffee are likewise improving, in both of which articles I am a large holder. Yet am I not puffed up with foolish vanity, but have girded myself round with the girdle of lowliness, even as with the band which is all round my hat, in token whereof, I offered to hand twenty punchins of the former, as symbol, profit margin. There are serious ferments and heartburnings amongst the great ones of this land, and those that sit on the benches called, the treasury, are become sore afraid, for he whom men call Lord John Russell hath had notice to quit, thereat, the Tories rejoice mightily and lick their chops for the fat morsels and the sops in the pan that Robert the son of Jenny hath promised unto his followers. Nevertheless, tidings have reached me that a good speck, might be made in Y.C. Tello, whereon I desire thy opinion, as also on the practice of stuffing roast turkey with green walnuts, which hath been highly recommended by certain of the brethren here, who have with long diligence and great anxiety meditated upon the subject, and now, I counsel thee. Hold fast the change which thou hast, striving earnestly for that which thou hast not, taking heed especially that no man comes that artful over thee, whereby I caution thee against one Tom Kittifley of Manchester, whose bills have returned back unto me, clothed with that unseemly garment which the notary calleth a protest. Assuredly he is of the idea in the paths of the unwary, and will bury thee with his fair speeches, therefore, I say, take heed unto him, I remain my friend, Ebion. B.E.W.L.E. Mincing Lane. To bad jokers. Sir. Seeing in the first number of your paper an announcement from Mr. Thomas Hood, that he was in want of a laugher, I beg to offer my services in that comic capacity, and to hand you my card and certificates of my cash powers. T.C. Card. Mr. Toddy Chuckle begs to inform wits, punsters, and jokers in general that he goes out laughing. His truly invaluable zest for bad jokes has been patronized by several popular farce writers and parliamentary pasquins. Mr. T.C. always has at command smiles for satire, simpers for repartee, sniggers for conundrums, titters for puns, and guffaws for jocular anecdotes. By Mr. T.C. single quote S system, cues for laughter are rendered unnecessary, as, from a long course of practical experience. The moment of cashination is always judiciously selected, and the, the worst jokes laughed at, and rendered successful, old Joe's made to tell as well as new, comic credentials, TRCG sir, I feel myself bound in justice to you and your invaluable laughter, as well as to others who may be suffering, as I have been, 
with a weekly farce, to inform you of its extraordinary results in my case. My bandling was given up by all the faculty, when you were happily shown into the boxes, one laugh removed all sibilatory indications, a second application of your invaluable cachination elicited slight applause, whilst a third, in the form of a guffaw, rendered it perfectly successful. From the prevalence of dullness among dramatic writers, I have no doubt that your services will be in general requisition. I am, yours, very respectfully, J.R. Planch, C.C. Sorrow. I beg to inform you, for the good of other bad jokers, that I deem the introduction of your truly valuable cachination one of the most important ever made, in proof of which, allow me to state, that after a joke of mine had proved a failure for weeks, I was induced to try your cachination, by the use of which it met with an equivocal success, and, I declare, if the cost were five guineas a guffaw, I would not be without it. Yours truly, Charles Tillich Waldo Sethorpe Colonel. My name's the doctor, Vidi Peel's speech at Tamworth. The two doctors, Peel and Russell, who had been so long engaged in renovating John Bull's glorious constitution, though they both adopt the lowering system at present, differ as to the form of practice to be pursued. Russell still strenuously advocates his purge while Sir Robert insists upon the efficacy of bleeding. Who shall decide when doctors disagree? Punch's information for the people. Number 1. Being a very familiar treatise on astronomy, our opinion island that science cannot be too familiarly dealt with, and though too much familiarity certainly breeds contempt, we are only following the fashion of the day, in rendering science somewhat contemptible, by the strange liberties that publishers of penny cyclopedias, three halfpenny informations, and company stores of knowledge, are prone to take with it, in order to show that we intend going at high game, we shall begin with the stars, and if we do not succeed in leveling the heavens to the very meanest capacity even to that of we shall at once give up all claims to the title of an enlightener of the people, everybody knows there are planets in the air, which are called the planetary system, everyone knows our globe goes upon its axis, and has two poles, but what is the axis, and what the poles are made of whether of wood, or any other material or matters which, as far as the mass are concerned, are involved in the greatest possible obscurity. The North Pole is chiefly remarkable for no one having ever succeeded in reaching it, though there seems to have been a regular communication to it by post in the time of Pope, whose lines speed the soft intercourse from zone to zone, and waft aside from Indus to the Pole, imply, without doubt, that packages reached the Pole, not, however, without regard to the size size, which may have been limited, the Sunday everybody knows, is very large, and indeed the size has been ascertained to an inch, though we must say we should like to see the gentleman who measured it, astronomers declare there are spots upon it, which may be the case, unless the savants have been misled by specks of dirt on the bottom of their telescopes, as these spots are said to disappear from time to time, we are strongly inclined to think our idea is the correct one, some insist that the sun is liquid like water, but if it were, the probability island that from its intense heat, the whole must have boiled away long ago, or put itself out, which is rather more feasible, we do not think it necessary to go into the planets, for, if we did, it is not unlikely we should be some time time before we got out again, but we shall say a few words about our own earth, in which our readers must, of course, take a special interest, it has been decided, that, Viewed from the moon, our globe presents a mottled appearance, but, as this assertion can possibly rest on no better authority than that of the man in the moon, 
we must decline putting the smallest faith in it, it is calculated that a day in the moon lasts just a fortnight, and that the night is of the same duration, if this be the case, the watchmen in the moon must be horridly overworked, and daily laborers must be fatigued in proportion, when the moon is on the increase, it is seen in the crescent, but whether morning crescent or burnt crescent, or any other crescent in particular, has not been mentioned by either ancient or modern astronomers, the only articles we get from the moon, are moonlight and madness, lunar caustic is not derived from the planet alluded to, of the stars, one of the most brilliant is Sirius, or the dog star, which it is calculated gives just one twenty millionth part of the light of the Sunday or about as much as that of a farthing rushlight, it would seem that such a shabby degree of brilliancy was hardly worth having, but when it is remembered that it takes three years to come, it really seems hardly worthwhile to travel so far to so very little purpose. The most magnificent of the starry phenomena, is the Milky Way or Way, and, indeed, the epithet seems superfluous, for all way is to a certain extent milky. The band of Orion is familiar to all of us by name, but it is not a musical band, as most people are inclined to think it is. Perhaps the allusion to the music of the spheres may have led to this popular error as well as to that which regards Orion's band as one of wind instruments. We shall not go into those ingenious calculations that some astronomers have indulged in as to the time it would take for a cannonball to come from the sun to the earth, for we really hope the earth will never be troubled by so unwelcome a visitor, nor shall we throw out any suggestions as to how long a bullet would be going from the globe to the moon, for we do not think anyone would be found goose enough to take up his rifle with the intention of trying the experiment. Comets are, at present, though very luminous bodies, involved in considerable obscurity, though there is plenty of light in comets, we are almost entirely in the dark concerning them, all we know about them island that they are often coming, but never come, and that, after frightening us every now and then, by threatening destruction to our earth, they turn sharp off, all of a sudden, and we see no more of them, astronomers have spied at them, learned committees have sat upon them, and old women have been frightened out of their wits by them, but, notwithstanding all this, the comet is so utterly mysterious, that, thereby hangs a tale, is all we are prepared to say respecting it, we trust the above remarks will have thrown a light on the sun and moon, illustrated the stars, and furnished a key to the skies in general, but those who require further information are referred to Lazarus, Adams and Walker, whose plans of the universe, consisting of several yellow spots on a few yards of black calico, are exactly the things to give the students of astronomy a full development of those ideas which it has been our aim to open out to him. New stuffing for the speaker's chair, with too much blood and too little brain. These two may run mad, but if with too much brain and too little blood, they do. I'll be a curer of madmen. Troilus and Cressida, Mr. Peter B.O.R.D.H.W.I.C.K. and Colonel Sifforp are both named as candidates for the speaker's chair. Peter has a certificate of being a bold speaker from old Richardson, in whose company he was engaged as parade clown and check-taker, the gallant colonel, however, is decidedly the favorite, notwithstanding his very ungracious summary of the wigs some time ago, we would give one of the buttons off our hump to see Mr. Joseph the Mugigians begs to inform his old crony, Punch, that the report of Sir John Pollon, as to the possibility of elevating an ass to the head of the pole by bribery and corruption, is perfectly correct provided there is no abatement in the price, let him canvas again, and Mr. J.N. pledges himself, whatever his weight, if he will only stand, one penny more, up goes the donkey, Old Bailey, 
robbed Melbourne's butcher of his 12 months billings, verdict stealing under 40 shillings, legal pugilism. The Chancery Bar has been lately occupied with a question relating to a patent for pins heads. The costs are estimated at L5000. The lawyers are the best boxers. After all, only let them get ahead in Chancery, even a pins, and see how they make the proprietor bleed. Inquest. Died. Eagle Rouse verdict. Philo de Southeast. Induced by being tied for Ross. M-P-R-U-M-B-A-L-L the comedian. When Mr. Rumball was at the Surrey Theatre, the treasurer paid him the proceeds of a share of a benefit in half crowns, shillings, and sixpences, which Rumball boasted that he had carried home on his head. His friends, from that day, accounted for his silvery hair. Foreign affairs. We beg to invite attention to the aspect of our foreign affairs. It is dark, lowering, gloomy some would say, alarming. When it smiles, it smiles to see to use the very mildest term, it is exceedingly suspicious. Let John Bull look to his pockets, it island nevertheless, but a piece of justice to state, that, formidable as the appearance of foreign affairs may be, no blame whatever can, in our opinion, be attached to a Lord Palmerston. The true island that the foreign affairs of Punch are not the foreign affairs of politics. They are certain living beings, and we call them affairs, by way of compromise with some naturalists, to whom the respective claims of man and the ape to their relationship may appear as yet undecided. In their anatomical construction they undoubtedly resemble mankind, they are also endowed with the faculty of speech. Their clothes, moreover, do not grow upon their backs, although they look very much as if they did. They come over here in large numbers from other countries, chiefly from France and in London abound in Leicester Square, and are constantly to be met with under the quadrant in Regent Street, where they grin, gabble, chatter, and sometimes dance, to the no small diversion of the passengers, as these foreign affairs have long been the leaders of fashion, and continue still to give the tone to the manners and sentiments of the politer circles, where also their language island perhaps, more frequently spoken in the vernacular tongue, and as there is something about them no matter what which renders them great favorites with a portion of the softer sex, we shall endeavor to point out, for the edification of those who may be disposed to copy them, those peculiarities of person, deportment, and dress, by which their tribe is distinguished. We address ourselves more particularly to those whose animal part every man is said to resemble, in some respect. One of the lower animals is made up of the marmost and the puppy, be it known, then, to all those whom it may concern, that there are, to speak in a general way, two great classes of foreign affairs the shining and the dingy, the characteristic appearance of the former might, perhaps, be obtained by treating the apparel with a preparation of plumbago or black league, that of the latter by the use of some fuliginous substance, as a dye, or, perhaps, by direct fumigation. The gloss upon the cheeks might be produced by perseverance in the process of dry rubbing, the more humid style of visage, by the application of emollient cataplasms. General sallowness would result, as a matter of course, from assiduous dissipation, young gentlemen thus glazed and varnished, French polished, in fact, from top to toe, might glitter in the sun like beetles, or adopt, if they preferred it, as being better adapted for lady catching, the more somber guise of the spider. Foreign affairs have two opposite modes of wearing the hair, we can recommend both to those studious of elegance. The locks may be suffered to flow about the shoulders in ringlets, resembling the tendrils of the vine, by which means much will be done towards softening down the asperities of sex, 
or they may be cropped close to the scalp in such a manner as to impart a becoming prominence to the ears, when the development of those appendages is more than usually ample, and when nature has given the head a particularly stiff and erect covering, descending into lateral semicircles, and a central point on the forehead. The last mentioned style is the more appropriate by its adoption. The most will be made of certain personal, we might almost say generic, advantages, we shall call it, in the language of the foreign affairs themselves, the quathura lusage, full hints, with respect to the management of the whiskers, may be derived from the study of foreign affairs, the broad, shorn, smooth extent of jaw, darkened nearly on its denuded surface, and the trimmed regular fringe surrounding the face, are both, in perhaps equal degrees, worthy of the attention of the tasteful, the shaggy beard and mustaches, especially, if aided by the effect of a ferocious scowl, will admirably suit those who would wish to have an imposing appearance, the chin, with its plump tuft of low Capricorn, will, at all events, ensure distinction from the human herd, and the decorated upper lip, with its downy growth deep black, and dumb the cheek at the same time having been faintly tinged with rouge, the locks parted, perfumed, and curled, the waist duly compressed, a slight addition, if necessary, made to the breadth of the hips, and the feet confined by the most taper and diminutive chosery imaginable, will just serve to give to the tout ensemble that one touch of the masculine character which, perhaps, it may be well to retain. The remarkable tightness and plumpness of limbs and person exhibited by foreign affairs cannot have escaped observation. This attractive quality may be acquired by purchasing the material out of which the clothes are to be made, and giving the tailor only just as much as may exactly suffice for the purpose. Its general effect will be much aided by wearing wristbands turned up over the cuff, and collars turned down upon the stock. An agreeable contrast of black and white will thus also be produced. Those who are fonder of harmony will do well to emulate the closely buttoned sables likewise worn by a large class of foreign affairs, who, affecting a uniform tint, as to the ostentation of linen, the diminution of the width of their coat collars, and the increase of the convexity of their coat tails, an object which, by artificial assistance, might easily be gained, are measures which we would earnestly press on all who are ambitious of displaying an especial resemblance to foreign affairs. We also advise them to have lofty, napless, steeple-crowned hats. He who would pass for a shining specimen, in every sense of the word, of a foreign affair, should wear varnished boots, which, if composed partly of striped cloth, or what is much prettier, of silk, will display the anklets to the better advantage. With regard to colors in the matter of costume, the contemplation of foreign affairs will probably induce a preference for black, as being better sweet to the complexion, though it will, at the same time, teach that the hues of the rainbow are capable, under certain circumstances, of furnishing full suggestions. It will have been perceived that the foreign affairs of which we have been treating are the affairs of one particular nation, beside these. However, there are others but since all of their characteristics may be acquired by letting the clothes alone, never interfering with the hair, abstaining from the practice of ablution, and smoking German pipes about the streets, they are hardly worth dwelling upon. Those who have light and somewhat shaggy locks will study such models with the best success. Not only the appearance, but the manners also, of foreign affairs, may be copied with signal benefit. Two of their accomplishments will be found eminently serviceable the art of looking black and that of leering, these physiognomical attainments, exhibited by turns, had a marvelous power of attracting female eyes those of them, at least, that had a tendency to wander abroad, 
The best way of becoming master of these acquisitions island to peruse with attention the features of bravos and brigands on the one hand, and those of opera dancers on the other. The progress of foreign affairs should be attentively watched, as the manner of it is distinguished by a peculiar grace. This, perhaps, we cannot better teach anyone to catch, than by telling him to endeavor, in walking, to communicate, at each step, a lateral motion to his coat tail, the gait of a popular actress dressed as a young officer, affords, next to that actually in question, the best exemplification of our meaning, habitual dancing before a looking glass, by begetting a kind of second nature, which will render the movements almost instinctive, will be of great assistance in this particular, in order to secure that general style and bearing for which foreign affairs are so remarkable, the mind must be carefully divested of divers incompatible qualities such as self-respect, the sense of shame, the reverential instinct, and that of conscience, as certain feelings are termed, it must also be relieved of any inconvenient weight of knowledge under which it may labor, though these directions are perhaps needless, as those who have any inclination to form themselves after the pattern of foreign affairs, are not very likely to have any such moral or intellectual disqualifications to get rid of, however, it would only be necessary to become conversant with the affairs themselves, in order, if requisite, to remove all difficulties of the sort, there is a thing, reader, which thou hast often heard of, and it is known to many in our land by the name of pitch, we need not finish the quotation, to defend the preceding observations from misconstruction, we will make, in conclusion, one additional remark, for in affairs are one thing for in gentlemen another, punches pencilings mumbaridi, the in my ideal house manifesto some of our big mothers of the broadsheet have expressed their surprise.